0: Hello, welcome to Cave the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick and I'm Tony. And uh, this is the show where you pull off the books off your 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 bookshelf that you should be reading and you can read along with us or you can just listen to us, pull the bookshelf off and read what actually we've already read this book that we're covering, but we try and uh, 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 go through a, a, a book that uh, that is apologetic based that uh, that we and cover chapter by chapter and kind of um, get into the milieu of, of the language that you might not uh, uh, know or, or uh, uh, aren't exactly sure where the, uh, where the author's coming from. And we kind of break it down chapter by chapter. So if you're here, we uh, appreciate you uh, uh, joining us. And we're in the middle of our book. Uh, Faith has its reasons uh, by um, Kenneth Boa and Robert M Bowman Jr. And, uh, for this book they're taking a look at four different uh methods of apologetics the classical uh the evidentialist the reformed and the fetus position and they say let's look at the strengths the weakness the history of them uh what they answer how they answer six different apologetics, six questions of apologetics and then uh see what their weaknesses are um from there and and also their strengths and uh see if uh if there's a better way or if there's a single way uh that uh, that our authors are going to recommend and so um we've we've kind of done the intro already and we've done uh, the, the first uh, portion of our book uh, which covers the classical model Classical model has this two-step approach. First one is to uh, prove that uh, there is a God, or at least a, a creator, an initial creator, and then the second one is to show that uh, Jesus is that that second step that that makes it a, a Christian worldview. And they emphasize uh, reason and logic as as part of their apologetic, and so now yeah. we've 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 covered that, and you can check the past episodes for that. And here we're covering the evidentialist approach, which is just the facts. So they're the Joe Friday of of, of <laughs> our um, apologetic. And if you need to know who Joe Friday is, then uh, we might have to uh, uh, Google a little bit more to, to figure out uh, the Dragnet reference there.
1: So so I, I might also say they they since they come at this. Uh, these four positions from such, uh, you know, many-sided areas, it's a really thorough book in terms of what they do, right? They they look at uh, uh, several angles, as you mentioned, history and how they deal with uh, particular questions and issues and those metapologetic questions that they have. So, it's really, it's a really good book if you want to get a feel for how these four approaches to defending the faith work, and what the, what what the differences are, and the strengths and weaknesses of of them are. So yeah, really really good.
0: Right. You might fall upon the uh, "can't we all just mm-hmm. get along," or you might say, "Oh, I've only been in this camp." What are these other camps that you're talking about? So um, this might uh, o- open you up to possibility or close you off to possibilities. So uh, I th- I think that's the the a uh, little bit of the hope of the authors as well. And so uh, now we move on to chapter eight, which is uh, talking about the apologists who emphasize facts. And uh, our authors start out by saying in the modern period, American evangelical apologetics has been dominated by the evidentialist approach. Mm. Its emphasis is on the presentation of Christianity as factual, as supportable or verifiable by the examination of the evidence just give me the evidence Uh, prove to me that there is a god let me uh, um, take a DNA sample of his hair uh, uh, let him uh, uh, rearrange the stars to spell his name and then only then will I bow down before him well except maybe not because it could be all an illusion and how do I know this is God's hair and uh, you know maybe Jesus never really existed because I watched this uh, m- movie about zeitgeist and uh, it, it says that it's really Horace that uh, was, was brought over and, and uh, Christ- or Jewish people started to believe uh, in this uh, uh, rising and falling God. So the, the uh, evidentialist apologists uh, want to present the evidence that actually no, uh, what, what we know of historic Christianity uh, falls right in line with orthodoxy and we're able to know the truth that God exists and Jesus Christ is as the fulfillment of of that expression.
1: Yeah. And and when they talk about the modern period, they're not talking about the contemporary period. Right. right. Like the 20th, 21st century or whatever. <laughs> they're talking about the time after the medieval times, you know, during the. Uh, I would say 16th, 17th century, 18th century, that kind of stuff into the 19th century. So that's what they're looking at with mm-hmm. regard to the modern period. And that's when this particular approach dominated, because as we will see, science was coming into its own. And this approach now is going to align itself with science.
0: Right. Right. So rather than defending the faith in two stages, as classical apologist does first by defining theism, then by defending specifically Christian claims, evidentialists use multiple lines of evidence to support Christian theism as a whole. And this isn't only the historical belief of Jesus uh, existing, of him um, um, uh, uh, being arrested, dying on the cross, and being raised from the dead. Although an uh, important point, uh, th- this this informs uh, m- many different avenues of uh, um, Christianity from an evidentialist point of view. So in this chapter, we'll examine the roots of evidentialist apologetics and consider briefly the thoughts of five modern evangelists yeah, of evidentialists.
1: Yeah, so the historical roots of event uh, of evidentialist here, evidentialist apologetics. They tell us, may from one perspective be viewed as a subtype of classical apologetics, and as you just described, this two-step approach by the classical apologist, uh, the evidentialist. They're going to tell us uh, just uses the second step, basically, right, to to give evidences and proof for Christianity. So both approaches, both the classical approach and the evidentialist approach, uh, want to provide reasons for faith that are accessible to non-Christians. So that's the basic idea here. However, the evidentialist approach has over the past two centuries, uh, our authors mentioned, gradually emerged as a significantly different model of apologetics.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they, they, they may want to be included uh and evidence uh from the evidentialist might be used by the classicalist but they are a separate entity and so what what caused them to to be the separate entity why 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 did why are they an offshoot why are they uh, an, a new arisement uh why didn't just the classical model continue on well uh the, the big thing is that they were defending against deism so, the impetus of the development of evidentialist apologetics was the rise of deism. By the early 18th century, modern science seemed to be explaining more and more about the natural world, requiring God as an explanation for things less and less. The enormous success of science encouraged many people to believe that evident, uh, eventually everything could be explained naturalistically. And so, this is the God of the Gaps uh, idea. So, uh, you know, you uh, get. Uh, uh, why was there lightning? Well, because God was angry and he was throwing down lightning bolts as as a a, a form of judgment. No, we have actually explained it with, with ions in the atmosphere. And um, actually they go up, up and uh, down and up. And so uh, we've uh, taken God out of that explanation and then further and further. And so soon we won't need a God because all things can be explained naturalistically. So thus eliminating the need to appeal to the existence of a supernatural creator to explain uh, reality as we know it. Deism was then in effect a way station on the road to atheism. The deist allowed that God had created the world and initiated the process governing it, but denied that God was involved in the subsequent history of the creation of humanity. And so obviously if you're getting into a conversation about the role of Christianity in the early development of America, uh, usually the uh, retort is, well, you know, all these guys were deists. Well. It's not exactly true. Some were deist, of course, uh, but uh, this this blind watchmaker who winds up the watch of the universe sets aside and walks off uh, a stage left, uh, and and uh, never picks it back up again, uh, is is um, uh, what the evidentialists are going to be responding to in history here.
1: Right, right. So the idea here is that, as deism says, God kind of created everything, and as you mentioned, walked away. And now that allows you to believe in a God, but also hold to all these new scientific discoveries that were going on. Well, Mm -hmm. look, he just kind of winded it up, as you mentioned, and now all of these things are just working themselves out, right? And so to combat, uh, combat deism, apologists began constructing arguments defending the supernaturalism of biblical Christianity that were modeled after the sciences, So the idea essentially was to fight fire with fire, right? So this is the way science did it. This is the way science argued. And therefore, we're going to use that as our methodology of arguing also. So fight fire with fire to show that a scientific approach to the Christian truth claims would uh, vindicate the Christian, Christian truth claims of rationality. So the dominant work, uh, our authors tell us, of apologetics uh, to appear in this context was Joseph Butler's Analogy of Religion, uh, written in 1736. And they suggest that uh, Butler can arg- arguably be called the father of evidentialism, even though, as, as we'll see throughout this chapter, his apologetic was only a precursor uh, to the
0: evidentialist approach. Right. Butler's approach quickly became a a dominant conservative Protestant apologetics, especially in the English speaking countries. This line of argument was commonly called natural theology. William Paley, who lived between 1743 and 1805, presented a classic uh, statement of this theistic argument in his natural theology. Paley argues that from the uh, contrivances evident in nature, one may infer that God is one, personal, intelligent, omnipotent omniscient omnipresent eternal self-existent spiritual and good all those things can be derived from nature itself in his conclusion he explains the purpose of this line of reasoning and so if if uh if paley might sound familiar for those who have watched the show before um uh paley is uh one of the people that uh lydia mcgrew uh credits to her um, uh, idea of, 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 uh, of undes- undesigned coincidences. And, uh, we talked about her book, um, hidden in plain view, uh, where she credits uh, Paley for, uh, that line of, of, of apologetics. And so he, that that's an internal look at, uh, scripture and showing an evidentialist approach of saying uh these two authors at two different times in two different places talked about things in that would line up and, and match uh, uh that uh were undesigned uh that they didn't collude to and that actually informs uh more of a truth claim uh to them telling the truth so if paley sounds familiar uh to the audience of the show then uh we've talked about it uh there as well i'll include uh her interview um, uh, below in our our um our uh information So although Paley uh, expects that most of his readers already believe in God, he suggests that when that belief is tested, it will be helpful to, as he says, to find a support in argument for what we have taken upon authority so furthermore studying nature in order to find evidence of god enhances our awareness of god's hand and everything around us, which does uh, fall in line with uh, our our even the presuppositionalist favorite passage of romans 1 where it talks about that uh that uh, god can be seen in nature as well uh but also uh, specifically in in uh, specific uh, um, special revelation so but even even um calvin would um starts out his his uh his institutes by talking about the sense of God as well. And so for evidentialists, they, they tend to view this uh, census divinitas uh, more as an outward expression uh, first and then an uh, um, uh, in, inward um, probably second. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, here uh, the, the Romans one aspect for all these different aspects of God, uh, what Paley is saying uh, can be noticed just by observing nature as, so, as, as well.
1: Yeah, good. And along these same lines, our authors tell us there was the rise of the legal evidence model, right? So Paley's argument was representative of a century long trend of apologists developing historical inductive arguments defending the b- biblical miracles, and of course, especially the resurrection of Jesus. But the epistemological basis, right, the study of knowledge here for such Uh, apologetic arguments was the British empiricism pioneered by the philosopher John Locke. And so you'll recall that Locke was a representational realist with regard to his epistemology. He felt like there was a real world that existed out there. And that uh, we could, we represented the real world with the ideas that we had in our minds, right? And so, and we got those representations as a result of our sense experience. And thus, that's what empiricism is all about, right? Knowledge comes through sense experience. And so Locke's own approach to apologetics was classical, In fact, our book tells us in form, right? The two-step approach. But apologists after Locke often apply his empiricist approach to general knowledge to the defense of uh, Christianity.
0: Right. Well, and then Thomas Sherlock's book, the trial of the witness of the resurrection of Jesus, which was published in 1729 set the tone for what followed as the title indicates, Sherlock argues that the historicity of the resurrection on the model of a court trial, which, um, you know, is still kind of our model that we uh, bring about today. Uh, you know, uh, J. Warner Wallace uh, has has uh, this uh, uh, form as well. Uh, you have got Got in the Docs by C. S. Lewis. Uh, so uh, this uh, this uh, 1729 book uh, has uh, uh, really kind of formed the basis for um, looking at the resurrection or uh, the life of Jesus, and and um, um, is still being used today. The thrust of the uh, apologetic case here was simple. An impartial jury examining the evidence as one would in a court of law would have concluded that Jesus rose from the dead. Sherlock argued that the resurrection was a historical event subject to verification by human investigation a thing to be judged on by men's senses is what he said so he was saying that if you look at this impartially as a jury would for uh, any sort of a trial the it's not just the preponderance of the evidence but it would be a, a greater form of evidence would show that uh, this is beyond reasonable doubt, uh, that uh, that one would conclude that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, it's more likely than not that what he said about himself was uh, applicable and therefore God existed. And that's uh, the truth of uh, it could be fully found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ.
1: Right, exactly. In fact, another figure of note uh, our book tells us was uh, Simon Greenleaf, right? He was a Harvard for Harvard professor of legal evidence who took Sherlock's approach to the resurrection to new heights in his book that he wrote in um, 1874, the testimony of the evangelist, right? And so, uh, in fact, m- many people have probably heard of uh, Simon Greenleaf, right? He, Greenleaf's arguments continue to be read and cited by both scholarly and popular uh, evidentialist apologists to this day. And so his book... In fact, uh, was recently reprinted, as uh, our authors tell us.
0: Right. Well, and then we move to Joseph Butler, uh, probably a a really prominent name uh, here that um, that we've discussed about um, uh, him kind of kicking off this approach. But the Christian apologist who pioneered evidentialist approach was Joseph Butler. He lived between 1692 and 1752. Uh, In 1736, Butler published the analogy of religion, natural and revealed to the Constitution and course of nature. So, uh, you know, 17th century uh, uh, authors love these long, long titles, and uh, if if you've read Puritan uh, literature, you know that uh, sometimes even uh, book titles contain a semicolon in there to uh, to continue on the, the title. Well, it was the most important work uh, contributing to a radical shift in British apologetics away from metaphysical rationalistic argumentation to more scientific empirical form of reasoning. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so our authors tell us that it's critical that Butler's argument be seen in its context. Butler used analogy not to prove Christianity true and not to provide a foundation for re- uh, revealed religion, but to answer the objection that revealed religion is irrational, right? So notice this is a. a, a, a he wasn't attacking whether or not God existed and that sort of thing. All he was suggesting, or at least trying to show, is that um, Christianity was was not irrational. And so Butler thought to show that the de- deist, right, uh, who admits the creation of the world by God, so he didn't need to argue for that, uh, is being irrational and denying the divine origin of biblical revelation. Or at the very least, he had to answer objections against revelation, All right? Yeah.
0: Butler's book is divided into two major parts, dealing with natural religion and revealed religion, respectively. So natural and revealed. So uh, again, the the Romans one aspect uh, is 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 uh, shining forth here. Well, part one deals with life after death, arguing from for the rationality of believing that rewards and punishments will be meted out by God based on our conduct in this life. And then part two argues from analogies with natural, with, with nature that uh, revelation like nature will contain things that seem problematic but are nevertheless true and should be accepted. Butler argued, for example, that the lack of the universality of in the Christian religion, the fact that it is not known to all human beings is not a valid objection against its truth. So, right, just those. like
1: there are scientific truths that aren't known to all human beings, so there are, you know, the Christian revelation, there are truths there that are not known to all human beings. Right. That's right. So, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, they tell us that only in Chapter 7 of Part 2 did Butler offer positive evidences and arguments for Christianity. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he began by arguing that biblical history should be presumed accurate in the absence of evidence to the contrary. Again, he was writing to to thwart deism. So there was this, excuse me, assumption of... Um, Uh, uh, you know, of God's existence. So he argues that biblical history should be presumed accurate. And he noted that Christianity appears fairly unique in having been founded on the belief in miracles, for instance, in contrast, especially to Islam, which, uh, you know, does not view Muhammad as a miraculous figure. While admitting that none of these arguments is a proof by itself, Butler averred that taking cumulatively, right, together, they form a strong proof, right? So this is the cumulative kind of uh, approach where Mm -hmm. you look at all of these lines of evidence and you, you know, you, you look at them together and now you have a strong proof. Another line of evidence for the truth of Christianity is the fact of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, for instance, right? And so Butler concluded in the analogy of religion with a chapter emphasizing that He had been answering objections and not providing absolute proof, right? Again, so notice what he does here is he weakens his claim, right? Christianity is rational, not that I'm showing that God exists or that sort of thing that it's absolutely true or whatever, but it's rational. And so with a weaker claim, you can have stronger arguments. And so that's the kind of idea that he's he's, uh, working on here.
0: Mm -hmm. Which might uh, lead into our maybe negative approach a little bit, but uh, we'll get there (laughs) when we get there. Yeah, we conclude uh, our authors uh, by emphasizing four points about Butler's method. First, his approach was empirical, not rationalistic. And the character of his conclusions was that the probability, not certainty. So he was going for the more likelihood of the case is that Christianity was true. Second, Butler employed this empirical, inductive and probabilistic approach in a defensive mode of apologetic re- reasoning. He was there uh, uh, to, um, to to strike down claims and, and not provide uh, fully uh, uh, positive claims. His goal was not to prove Christianity true, but to prove that deistic charges that Christianity was irrational were unfounded. Again, uh, the, the, the main crux that they were responding to was not atheism, it was deism. And so uh, that might also uh, account uh, a little bit for his uh, maybe weaker claim uh, just because there's probably a little bit more shared uh, common ground uh, there than with atheism.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, third, Butler candidly stated that he was attempting to respond to the deists on their own ground, right? So there's your common ground kind of uh, statement there. He says, I have argued upon the principles of others, not my own, right? <laughs> and thus one should not conclude then that Butler was uh, claiming that Christianity requires an empirical defense or that his truth cannot be accepted on other grounds. And then fourthly, Butler assumed the existence of God, an assumption he could make because again, his opponents granted that assumption, they were deists. He was therefore not claiming to mount a defense of Christianity that would withstand the scrutiny of, for instance, the hardline atheists.
0: Well, then uh, moving from Butler to James Orr, who lived from 1844 to 1913, so getting uh, into the 20th century, he was a Scottish pastor and scholar who eventually became a noted professor of apologetics and theology in Glasgow during the early parts of the 20th century. In his classic apologetic book, The Christian View of God and the World as Centering in the Incarnation can shorten up the title, (laughs) Uh, Or sought to defend the Christian worldview by appealing to the facts. So again, here's our just the facts. Or was endorsed, uh, who endorsed Butler's argument in the uh, analogy of religion, uh, emphasized that faith in Christ commits the believer to a whole theology and worldview that needs to be defended. So again, We're we're, we're still saying worldview and a theology is important, and and here Orr is emphasizing that uh, a bit more uh, than than, uh, what Butler is.
1: Right. And so Orr, our authors tell us, is confident that the facts properly presented can be used to show that Christianity are without merit. He he writes, the reason why Christianity cannot be waved out of the world at the bidding of skeptics simply is that the facts are too strong for that attempt. Uh, The theories which would explain Christianity away make shipwreck on the facts, right? Mm -hmm. They run into the facts and therefore they crash and burn.
0: And we'll see you next time.
1: See you next time.